Welcome, podcast friends. We're back with volume six of the Best Investment Writing Series. Each year, our team carefully sorts through tons of research and investment letters from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world to pick the best of the best to share with you. We offer the authors of those pieces the chance to record an audio version as a segment of the podcast. Past participants included the likes of Cam Harvey, Larry Swedro, and Rob Arnott. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. I'm Erin Miles. I'm co-lead of equities research at Bridgewater Associates, an asset management firm focused on delivering insight and partnership to many of the most sophisticated global institutional investors around the world. And today I'm going to be reading a research piece I wrote back in October 2021 entitled, Who Will Prove the Most Vulnerable to a Pullback in Liquidity? For a little bit of context, I wrote this piece for Bridgewater's Daily Observations, which is a publication we share with our clients daily that focuses on trends and developments in global financial markets and economies. If you want to read more of our research, feel free to head on over to www.bridgewater.com. Now, let's get started. With central banks around the world winding down quantitative easing, the extraordinary push of liquidity of the past two years is now set to wane. Most central banks intend only to lean against the wind, pulling back gradually to ensure the recovery stays on stable footing. They may succeed, but that doesn't mean that there won't be vulnerable pockets and markets that start to feel the pinch of tightening long before the economic outlook begins to turn. So who will prove most vulnerable to the pullback in liquidity? While global equity markets are potentially vulnerable, U.S. equities in particular are exposed. A decade of extremely easy liquidity has driven down discount rates, which was a mechanical support for equity market multiples that drove duration to secular highs. This poses a risk as rates begin to rise, especially for companies with very strong priced-in earnings growth and cash flows far in the future. Companies have also become reliant on the ongoing flow of ample liquidity. A growing cohort is borrowing to deploy buybacks and support earnings per share, and a significant and growing tail of the market is cash flow negative and relying on ongoing new investments to finance their business. With less money flowing into the system, that funding will be harder to come by. For many companies, ongoing strength in economic activity will be a support that counters the impact of tightening liquidity. We expect that to be particularly true in markets like Japan and Europe, which are comprised of more cyclical industries and have some of the post-COVID economic bounce still ahead. By comparison, we see more risks for the U.S. market, which has benefited more significantly from ample liquidity in recent years, faces greater pressure to tighten given ongoing inflation risks, and is already through most of the post-COVID rebound. If you want to follow along on some of the charts, in the written piece included, we show measures of the concepts we described for the U.S. The share of the U.S. market that is highly exposed to liquidity has shot up in recent years, while the share highly exposed to growth has declined. A lot of this shift reflects the growing dominance of tech in the U.S. Looking across countries, the picture is notably different. Compared to the U.S. equity market, Europe's and Japan's have relatively more companies that are highly growth sensitive and fewer that are more liquidity sensitive. We expect that each economy's respective cyclical conditions will exacerbate these differences. For instance, the U.S. seeing more pressure to tighten faster. In the rest of this piece, I'll dig more into the drivers behind those dynamics. Section one, growth and liquidity sensitivity can be important drivers of performance differences between sectors and countries. 
While there are many factors that drive equity performance, we think the sensitivity of different sectors and country-level equity markets, which are effectively baskets of sectors, to liquidity and growth is particularly relevant as central banks respond to rising nominal growth by pulling back liquidity. To illustrate these different sensitivities, we zoom in on the U.S. equity market, splitting up performance in the past two years into periods when real yields were falling and when they were rising, which is a cut-through measure of what's been happening to liquidity relative to growth. We saw easing liquidity falling growth through much of 2020 and April to July 2021, and tightening liquidity rising growth from January to March 2021 and August 2021 to today which was October 2021 at the time of writing this piece. We plot sector performance against our internal measure of sensitivity to tightening liquidity and rising growth environments to highlight which sectors do well in each period. Performance has generally been directionally aligned with what we would expect. In the major periods of falling real yields, which are generally periods of falling growth and rising liquidity, we saw tech sectors outperform and more cyclical sectors underperform. And then during recent periods of rising real yields, performance looked like the mirror opposite. The same group of tech companies underperformed during periods of rising real yields in 2021. Meanwhile, low duration cyclicals benefited from rising earnings expectations and less discount rate drag and outperformed. Section two, the performance difference between US and global equities has increasingly aligned with relative exposures to growth and liquidity. The differences in sectoral sensitivities to growth and liquidity inherently bubble up to differences in performance between equity markets at the country level. We've charted U.S. performance relative to the rest of the developed world against our measure of liquidity. The cross-country differences really began growing substantially at the beginning of the last decade when tech began its rise to dominance in the United States. This was roughly the same time that we started to see differential equity performance line up closely with swings in liquidity. This doesn't mean that this was the only thing going on or that the same will necessarily be true looking ahead. Relative conditions in each country often differ. Investor flows can swing one way or another. Still, the recent relationship has been interesting and aligns with the relative exposure we see across the markets. In particular, in recent months, as markets have begun to process the higher likelihood of a pullback in liquidity, we've again seen the U.S. start to underperform. Next, I'll describe what has driven the growing sensitivity of U.S. equities to liquidity in more detail. Section three, the decline in discount rates and strong growth expectations supported an increase in equity duration. Today, equity market duration and the sensitivity to liquidity is at highs last seen in the 90s tech bubble. This in part reflects the fact that over the past 20 years, secularly declining interest rates mechanically increased the value of corporate cash flows further in the future. In addition, low interest rates, ample liquidity, and limited alternatives supported a surge in market capitalization of innovative industries. The level of earnings growth expectations for the market as a whole has increased substantially in recent years, further lengthening duration. Section four, U.S. companies have grown increasingly reliant on liquidity to fund earnings per share growth. Over the past decade, massive liquidity production has been enormously beneficial to U.S. companies. Large companies changed their capital structure, issued debt, bought back their stock, and financed M&A, significantly boosting earnings per share growth. We have seen that the share of U.S. companies that have boosted earnings per share via buybacks has increased significantly in recent years. 
We have also seen that recent periods of tightening liquidity like 2013 and 2018 drove brief pullbacks from this trend of rising buybacks. In addition, liquidity has poured into innovative companies, many of which seek to grow at all costs and run significant cash flow deficits effectively financed by issuing equity. While these companies are still a relatively small share of the listed equity market at around 6% at the time of the writing of this daily observations, their share has grown as they have increasingly gone public and they represent a real vulnerability to the high-flying growth segment of the market. Section 5. U.S. equities have less cyclical upside in a rising nominal growth environment today compared to history. Corporate revenues in the U.S. are also less likely to respond to stronger growth conditions today. Over the past decade, some of the sectors most exposed to rising nominal growth, such as resources and financials, have lost significant share, and tech companies have taken their place. Though tech company revenues are still cyclical, it's just not to the same degree. In addition, over time, the cyclicality of tech sales has declined. This reflects an underlying shift in the nature of tech businesses, with tech sales today increasingly composed of software and cloud products rather than electronic capital goods and intermediate inputs. Last, operating leverage is a significant driver of cyclical swings in earnings. The higher the level of margins, the lower the operating leverage effect. For instance, if you assume fully fixed costs, a 1% increase in sales translates to 10% earnings growth for a company with a 10% margin. The same sales growth would translate to 20% earnings growth for a company with a 5% margin. We have seen that after 30 years of secularly increasing profit margins, the share of companies with low operating leverage now represents only 40% of market capitalization. And a significant degree of that secular increase in margins came from tech companies. That was both because their margins increased markedly and because high margin tech companies gained share. That's where we'll wrap. Thanks so much for listening.